Hi, this is Paul. By now, the Jonathan, my conversation with Jonathan Peugeot is out. And even before that, I'd made a little clip of the part of the conversation where we talk about Islam. I began the conversation with Jonathan uh, talking about civilizational Christianity. And the reason I did that was because I think with Ayan Hirsi Ali, with the art conference, one of the ways into the pretty amazing events over the last six years that I have been watching and to a degree participating in is sort of caught up in this idea of civilizational Christianity. And so that's where we began the conversation. And I didn't I didn't want to take the time. Someone left a comment in the section about how, how I'm sitting there listening. Yes, I'm sitting there listening because I don't want to hear what he has to say. And there are times that I interrupt, but uh, I want to hear what he has to say. I have a great deal of respect for Jonathan, and I want to know what he thinks. I might agree or disagree, but I want to know what he thinks. And if I want to know what he thinks, I'll keep my mouth shut. Um, there, there's In our culture, there's a lot, especially on YouTube, there's not a lot of... Um, not a lot of respect for the wisdom of a closed mouth. Now, I, I completely realize the irony of me saying that as someone with you know, over 2,500 videos on YouTube, many of them over an hour long, of me just talking and talking and talking. But when I get the opportunity to sit down with someone like Jonathan, I want to listen. I want to hear what he has to say. It's not my job to challenge him necessarily and you can talk about reporters all you want I want to know what he says I can I can talk about it when I when I make a video now and Jonathan very well may um, listen to it might want to follow up maybe not life is too short to talk about everything it's combinatorial explosiveness with respect to just about everything anyway back to the topic I and Hersey Ali's story and just the the ways that over the last number of years, Tom Holland's thesis has sort of transformed how I understand secularity raises into highlights for me what's happening on the world stage with respect to some of these other major world religion. Now, now Islam is very deeply tied, obviously, to Judaism and Christianity. And so, and obviously there's been a lot of conflict over Islam, and so it makes a very interesting foil in order to sort of compare and contrast things. And so I asked Jonathan about this, and I, I released a clip on Friday of it, and it'll be in the middle. Part of the reason I release clips is because if you listen to an hour-plus conversation, are you going to remember the whole thing? No. You might remember one or two things. And so sometimes I like to lift things out that I think are salient and put them out, partly so that I can find them again later, but also partly because sometimes when you take something out of a conversation, you put them up into its own thing, you get to deal with that one thing there. Now, the whole conversation is released, and so you can hear it all in context, so there's no question about me misframing or anything like that. But I'm going to drop that clip into this video now, and I'm just going to play it as such. Well, which leads me to another big character. I mean, it's been so funny watching Jordan pull you into different things. Um, conversation. What's the guy's name? Muhammad? He. Oh, the Muhammad hijab conversation. Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> we haven't talked since then, really. That's crazy. No, we we really haven't. But it's, but Islam. 
I mean, so for me, you know, Islam is another thing that I've sort of just kind of kept at bay because I don't have to deal with Islam. Yeah. And the question of Islam is, a, I think, a super complex question because it, it's not at all clear what Islam is. It, it, you know, on one hand, it's a, I mean, C.S. Lewis described Islam, Islam is submission, Paul. Islam means submission. Yeah, but submission to what? But submission <laughs> to God, you know, that's what Yeah, but who is God that, you know, they are submitting to it? And, and because to me, Islam, well, it's, it, it's, so when part of the difficult about, difficulty about talking about any religion or using a religious category is that it is just so broad because you can, you can meet just absolutely wonderful Islamic people who, um, you know, have virtue and character and, you know, and then you look at the religion. You always have this because you can't, I mean, how would you, how would you judge orthodoxy? I mean, it's such a massive category. Yeah. And with the same problem with, you know, Christianity, it's such a massive category and, these these categories are so massive they break down, but they don't completely break down because they still they still do have power and formation power in people. Yeah. So yeah, and allegiance allegiance power. But that conversation was one of the most frustrating, like to me, moments in my life, and it's also frustrating even against myself in the sense that at some point I was like, why did I get roped into this? Like, what am I doing here? You know, and so you have to set the stage because people watch the conversation. They don't see the context of right. where we were. Right. They don't understand that we were invited there. Jordan where was were, invited. Where there. was? Fill it out a little bit. More. Right. So Jordan was invited there to come talk about the place of Jesus in Islam. That's where. That's why Jordan was invited there. And 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 so Jordan said, "Do you want to go to this thing? I'm supposed to talk about the place of Jesus in Islam?" And I thought, okay, well, that's an interesting thing. Like I'm willing to do that. Uh, and so he says, I'm going to meet with this guy, Muhammad Hijab. And so I, then I go to my hotel room and it's like the next morning, I'm going to go to this thing. I don't know who this guy is. And I look him up on YouTube and all I see are videos of him, like with masked men, like in the street, you know, marching and saying that he's going to beat up these, these Indian people or whatever. And it's like Pakistanis. I don't forget who it was. Like he, there was, it was like, he was a street character, like a street thug, um, and I was like, what? what? What are we doing? Like, why are we going to meet this guy? So that was the first thing. So, but I already committed. So I'm like, okay, I'll go. So we go there. We're in the Islamic center, London Islamic center. We are in a mosque, right? In that, during that conversation, we are in a mosque, okay? And we are sitting at the head of the mosque, right? Behind us is the place from which the Quran is and the prayers are said. In front of us are around 50, 60 men from the mosque. So now let me put you in that position and ask you, okay. And so now we're sitting there and we're supposed to talk about the place of Jesus in Islam. But what we're getting is someone attacking Jordan, then attacking Christianity, then attacking the Trinity. And what's going in the back of my head is, okay, so... Am I supposed to now fight you in a mosque surrounded by all these Muslim men 
and use the same kind of derogatory, insulting language that you're using. And all I could tell myself and put myself in the position is, I would never do that to you in a church, ever. Like I would never invite you into a church yeah. under false pretense and then have you surrounded by Christians and then start attacking Islam in your face. Yeah. So the whole time I was like, this guy is a thug. Yeah. This guy is not serious. Yeah. And you can see if you watch my face in the interview, you can see yes. that I'm annoyed beyond belief. Uh, you know, and then the whole time all he was doing was proselytizing. He just yeah. all he cared about was like, will you convert to Islam? And and not and it wasn't even about us. It was like, will you show my buddies that are there watching that you would convert to Islam? If I convinced you, would you convert to Islam? One of his questions was literally, if I could prove to you that Islam yeah. was true, would you convert to Islam? Yeah. What kind of what kind of nonsense, dishonest question is that? That is one of the most dishonest questions I've ever heard. And so it was very difficult to take this seriously and, and to engage because like, what am I going to engage? I'm going to start arguing with you over the Trinity in this, in this context. It just didn't make sense to me. So anyways. Well, I think that that gets at, you know, when the new Testament calls, um, you know, talks about a house of peace or a person of peace. I think that gets at it because there is, you know, deep within deep within the culture out of which the Bible, you know, in, in which the Bible is contextualized, and the Bible has this, there's a deep culture of hospitality. And when you set something up like this, you are, I mean, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, the sort of story of Gibeah, these are all stories of hospitality. And they extended no hospitality, yeah. which is... And, and, and I'll be honest, like, let's be honest. It's not as if this has never happened. It's not as if Christians have never done this. Christians right. have done this. There are, you know, the, probably know the stories of Christians inviting rabbis into debates where basically it was like, we're going to have a debate in the town hall, in the town with all these Christians, and basically your life is at stake. And if you if you disagree with us, you know, and so it's like being in that... I mean, obviously I wasn't in the physical danger, but... As soon as the, the conversation ended, people came right up to my face and started telling me I shouldn't have said that. They came right up to me and said, you, you shouldn't have said that. You shouldn't have said that about, about him. And you don't understand what it's like to be a Muslim in, 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 in London. And we are uh, the victims and we are marginalized. And, and like several times, right up to the car, when I was at the car to like taking an Uber to leave the place, yeah. you know, some man walked up to me and he said, that was inappropriate. You shouldn't have said that. It was like, talk about like just aggressive, you know, man, it's something. Wow. Now, my new favorite podcast, when I was in the UK the first time, uh, Justin Briley was there for the Tom Holland event with Glenn Scrivener. And we did that Tom Holland event that Glenn Scrivener set up. And I mentioned that the I mentioned that the thing that the rest is history was my favorite podcast. And Justin was like, what what happened to Unbelievable? That used to be my favorite podcast, but it got unseated by it got unseated by the rest is history. Well, the rest is history has now been unseated by the surprising rebirth of belief in God. So Justin can feel comfortable about being at the top of my podcast hierarchy. Um, I I continue to be a devoted listener to the rest is history. But every week, I really, every week or two, when this comes out, I this goes to the top of my hierarchy. I listen to Justin's podcast. And the most recent one that came out on January 8 
was about Tom Holland. And, and when I first saw it come, I thought, well, I've, you know, I've covered so much of this already. I don't know how much new stuff will be in it, but you know, I, I, I've got to listen to it because who knows? And it was well worth it. And I probably won't be treating it here, but the end of the podcast, when Paul, when Paul, when Justin talks to a, a Chinese immigrant to the UK, wow, what an astounding way to conclude this podcast. But there are elements in this podcast that were new that I hadn't heard from Tom, and they were really helpful for me with respect to this question of Islam and how to sort of negotiate this. Because part of part of dealing with other religions, as I've said in a number of things, is that religions are such massive things. If, if we as Christians want to reserve the right to critique other Christians, their behaviors, their beliefs, et cetera, et cetera, um, we, should, we should be fair with other very broad categories to try to get a sense of what's essential for a religion. And in many ways, a critique of, let's say, someone else within Christianity is, is critiquing what they say is essential to the religion and we disagree. And But I think civilizationally, we're going to have to have a, we're going to continue to have a conversation about Islam. I had, uh, I did some Sarah, work on Sarah Hyder's stuff before. I haven't really found some other stuff that I've wanted to bring in yet. Um, but it, it very much has to do with this whole question of secularity, because as I've said before, I mean, this, I very much get from Tom Holland's thesis, secularity is not what we think it is. And for, especially for Christians that have been deep within the fundamentalist modernist culture war within Christianity for a very long time that have sort of just gotten used to complaining about secularists. And this is very deep within the continued culture war in the United States. It's helpful to recognize that secularity comes in the Christian world and in many ways colonized the whole world. And Jesus has been doing a lot of smuggling through this. So I want to begin with this section from Justin's podcast that when I heard it, it was like a light went on. It, it, it wasn't like I suddenly kind of went all Dawkins and, and thought I'm rejecting religion or, or indeed even that I went Byronic or Promethean and kind of define, you know, the, the tyrant in the heavens or anything like that. It, it, it was just that it became of less interest to me. And I read Nietzsche at quite a, a formative, you know, kind of 18, 19, when it really hits you hard. Yeah, um, and, and remember thinking, yeah, actually, because it really did articulate quite a lot about what I disliked about Christianity, that it did seem a bit wet mm -hmm. and kind of annoying and po-faced and going on about being kind to poor people. Mm -hmm. I just wasn't particularly interested in that. I've been listening to some other Tom Holland um, interviews that I hadn't caught before, especially ones that are sort of connected with Islam and you know, they've been very interesting. This, it's so interesting listening to the, obviously they're so, so couched in some 
so it's a British colloquial language, which I have to listen to a lot of the rest is history to pay, to find that yeah that we are we are two nations divided by a common language because sometimes they say things like what, what on earth do they mean? But this this in a sense gets into. I remember there was a um, in college this is before I'd met the woman who would become my wife. There was a there was another girl that I had a crush on and. Um, no, the relationship never really went anywhere, but you know, of course, my we've been talking about dating and, and this kind of stuff in in the corner sometimes. And my my strategy was never dating. My strategy was befriending, because uh, maybe it's a coward strategy because it was a, a far lower risk thing. And of course, you you um, you might find yourself in the friend zone. And uh, I I always had enough confidence that if I had to bust out of the friend zone, I could. Um, I I never lacked for ego. Um, but I was, you know, interested in this girl. I'd befriended this girl and she had had a boyfriend back home and her boyfriend, uh, she and I were talking about Christianity. I obviously grew up in a deeply Christian household. She wasn't from the Christian Reformed Church, somehow wound up at Calvin College. And, and so then her boyfriend was visiting and of course, in you know, being a friend, well, you just wanted me to talk to her boyfriend because of course I was a Christian and he was not and you know, a bunch of stuff going on with that. And... It was interesting because the thing, the thing that I don't remember if she told me or he told me, you got to, you got to, this is a lot of years ago now. This is like 40 years ago. You know, basically made, made a similar thing. Well, you know, I, I, I don't see, didn't see being a Christian as something, something that a, a strong man could be. Being Christian was effeminate and weak. And it's interesting the way that sort of Nietzsche sort of seeped into the culture. And I, I had never had any conception of that, of Christianity like that. I, you know, my father was a, my father was a strong man. I remember him, you know, he'd, he'd talk about all the, his feats of strength that he did on the farms back in the prairie in his youth. And then there was one incident where he, he, he liked to, people would all, always sort of poke fun at the pastor because the pastor was supposed to be a weakling. And so then he'd pick up something heavy, which, um, usually included our Volkswagen. So he would, so in fact, there was one very famous incident where pride went before a fall. He was in front of the, we we're in front of the local hardware store and they were moving some appliances out of the hardware store onto a truck. And somebody had made a comment about the preacher and not being able to help. And so he went around to the front of the Volkswagen and lifted up the front of the Volkswagen off the ground. But everybody knows that those old Volkswagen Beetles, the engine is in the back. So in order to demonstrate that he could not only lift up the front of the Volkswagen, but the rear of the Volkswagen that had the engine, and he went around to the back and lifted that up. But just at the moment he lifted that up, he, his, I don't know if it was on a rock or what, but his foot slipped and he did something to his knee. And for the rest of his life, he had to live with that knee injury. They never did surgery or anything like that on it. But um, it was it was a it was a little testimony to um, strength and pride. Anyway, I diverse back to the podcast. I kind of liked emotionally mm. the, the the power that was expressed. Yeah, by these kind of monstrous figures from antiquity, mm. and there was there was a kind of an appeal in in the hot, you know, the horrible qualities of it, the glamorous qualities of it. Um, it was a kind of naive response. 
As we heard in a recent episode, after graduation, Holland went on an unlikely journey from writing vampire novels to writing about ancient history. And this was when he began to experience a deep sense of how different the world he inhabited was from the values of the Greco-Roman world. But it wasn't just ancient history making him re-evaluate the culture he had grown up in. The, the, the frameworks, the moral frameworks, the ideological frameworks that governed the opinions of pretty much everyone I knew was so accepted that I realised we weren't thinking them through. And I, I think it was much easier to do that in the 90s when they weren't under particular threat. But another thing was the sudden intrusion of Islam mm -hmm. onto the public stage. It seemed to me that there was... A there, right there. The sudden intrusion of Islam on the public stage. And, and when you come down to that, I remember when... I remember seeing Ben Affleck and was it Sam Harris on Bill Maher and that fight that they had. And of course, the rise of new atheism, even though, you know, Dawkins and Harris, they, and the Christians were at hand to fight. They were in their same culture. I mean, in that sense, the new atheists were fighting a rearguard action because their real threat, their their real attention was the real threat was Islam, and and you can hear that in the Sam Harris Eric Weinstein trigonometry conversation. And, and when you listen to Sam Harris talk, it's like, wow, you know, just wow. It's God, you know, not going to say too much about Sam Harris. Some of you get a little triggered when I talk about Sam Harris because that's not the topic here. But the connection between the intrusion of Islam. Now, it's helpful to remember that I was listening to some people talk the other day. And was it Foucault who made the observation that, that basically everybody navigates on only sort of two generations of memory? And, and so many people might imagine that, and I'm sure many Muslims would like them to continue this narrative, that Islam has basically always been the same since right from the start. And, you know, many people, many Christians promote that too. I, I, I could pull books off the shelf of the Christian Reformed Church for, you read through the book and you have the Old Testament prophets and then you have Jesus and the apostles and then you have... John Calvin and Martin Luther, and then the Christian Reformed Church in the 1960s. It's like, hop, 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 hop. We're all the same. Islam, in the 20th century, had a deep crisis. Because in many ways, um, secularity through the colonial period deeply impacted the entire world. And Tom Holland, of course, notes that the discovery of religion, I've made this point in many, many videos, Tom makes it all the time. The discovery of, the reli of religion comes because of Christianity, because of Protestantism. And so the intrusion of Islam, well, it's not just any Islam, it's a certain kind of Islam that, that happens with the, the end of the caliphate after the, the, the collapse of the, the Ottoman Empire, after their defeat in the First World War, and these new strains that emerge, which you know, has been, have been sort of making inroads into the world through the news. 
and and it comes as a shock to Western people because, well, we we all thought that this this separation of church and state, and you think, well, church, well, church, mosque, whatever the Buddhists have, whatever the Hindus have, and partly because one of the one of the dynamics that happened in American culture is that. When these other religions, when these other groups would come to America, they would form congregations. Putnam makes a big deal of that, and not in Bowling Alone, but an earlier book where he talks about everything sort of congregationalized in the United States. And I've made the point that if you drive down to Stockton and you take the cut through between I-5 and 99, right next to the highway, there's the Buddhist church. And it's like, I remember first time seeing that, I thought, I, I understand the um, I understand the marketing appeal of calling it that, so at least people would know that. And then my my conversation with with Neil when he talked about his his mother, who was both a Buddhist and a Methodist, I thought, oh, this is very interesting. So so then you have this big fight, sort of initiated by the new atheists, that say, you know, is the real problem of Islam that you know. We've done bad things, and now they can't control themselves. Sarah Hyder sort of takes that on and says, "Well, that's that's sort of a soft bigotry in there. You you think you think Muslim people don't have self control like you do? You think they're incapable of that? What, what kind of things are you saying about them?" And so Tom Holland is right that this intrusion begins to well, and of course, in a place like the UK where you have a large population of immigrants, in the United States they're relatively small compared to the UK, but suddenly there's questions. Well, well, how is this really going to work? Let's listen to a little bit more, then we're going to jump over to another one of his pieces. Kind of tension there, everyone that I knew. And I think it was much easier to do that in the 90s when they weren't under particular threat. But another thing was the sudden intrusion of Islam mm -hmm. onto the public stage. It seemed to me that there was a kind of tension there. Everyone that I knew and everyone that I was reading was saying, you know, 9-11 or whatever, it's nothing to do with Islam. And when they talked about Islam, the kind of thing that they were describing was a kind of version of the Church of England. It, it, it was something muted, secularized, safe, comfortable, absolutely within the context of British multiculturalism. And, and people would say, um, you know, anyone who thinks that that Islam is not compatible with um, a secular democracy is basically a racist. That seemed to me an insane thing to say, because the the, the kind of culturally supremacist thing to say was that, that that you could absorb even Islam, this incredibly rich, ancient, sophisticated, various civilization, within the distinctive cultural frameworks. Of, of Britain in in the early 21st century. I mean, it seemed an, an amazing form of cultural arrogance. Mm. So I became, I, be, I became kind of interested in, in, in the degree to which Islam was actually much richer, much more complex than, than, than people wanted to acknowledge, that therefore there might absolutely be reasons that, that derive from Islamic history and tradition that might explain 9-11, just as it might also explain all kinds of other traditions, likewise, that might make um, the assumptions of, of, of secularists in, in, in 21st century Britain uncomfortable. And actually, it was the whole thing about, about the, the idea of the secular that then I became interested in, because I, I, it, it, it's evident that the assumption of church and state, you know, there isn't a phrase, mosque and state. The way in which this was discussed, that, that the understanding of Islam was, was basically a Christian one. 
so I became so I wrote a book, Millennium, about basically the origins of where did this idea of the secular come from? What was it that that made Western society qualitatively different from the much richer civilization of of, of Islam in the tenth and eleventh century? It both seemed to me so obvious and yet so it wasn't anything that anybody seemed ready to accept. And I wrote an article about it to publicize Millennium for, for the New Statesman that provoked an absolutely furious reaction. And I'd written similar articles for Rubicon and, and Persian Fire, in which you know you, you, you made the argument that what you're writing about is incredibly important. But when I wrote this, the, the response was vituperative. And I realized that this is a live issue in a way that talking about the legacy of Greece or Rome isn't. Yeah. Greece and Rome are effectively dead. Nobody really cares. Yeah. But but if you if you if you say that actually the ideal of the secular is something that is distinctive to Western Christendom and emerges from distinctive Christian theological assumptions, people go absolutely batshit because they don't want to think that. Mm-hmm. And so that's the kind of the, the, the particular rat I followed down the hole. Uh, both, both writing about Islam and then with Dominion. Well, and, and obviously, as as you followed that up with in the shadow of the sword and so on, I, I, I mean, did that only serve to further uh, elucidate how very different Islam is from Christianity? And the yeah, I felt this like was really different, and I I yeah. spent a lot. Of, you know, I'm not I'm not an uh, I'm not a Muslim. I don't speak Arabic. It was kind of terror incognita. So I spent a, I spent years and years immersed in in reading about Islam. And, and studying it and and kind of thinking about why I found it strange and an alien. I mean, there were lot there was lots in it that I, I found familiar. But again, I realised that what I found familiar in it was basically derived from from Christianity. Mm. And and what I found alien was 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 because it was different to to Christianity. And you know that kind of sharpened the feeling that I then had when I wrote Dynasty, which was about the Julio Claudians. Um, and and again, I felt that you know, write, writing about Nero in particular, that the, the the power of Nero and why he has this this kind of impact on the Romans and then into subsequent generations, is that he was able to dramatise what was incredibly dark within Greek myth. So he mm. kills his mother because that's what tragic heroes do. Mm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it really struck me he said he said something similar in his seen and unseen interview um we've been able to get away with this conceit for as long as we have done because we're the products of societies that for two or three hundred years have been um globally hegemonic Mm. Mm. um but as that ends as our as the west's economic, financial, military, cultural power recedes. So I think our ability to assume that our values, our assumptions mm. are universal mm. will go into retreat as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah, when we don't have the power. Now, now, part of what's so powerful about that is everyone expects sort of a, the, the, the narrative is this, oh, you, you colonialists, anybody who resists the dominant narrative, well, you're, it's because you, you want to maintain your your hegemony and and Holland basically inverts it and says, "No, wait a minute. The way you're treating these people <laughs> is 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 sort of a soft condescension. In in fact, you're the real colonist because you don't take them or their beliefs seriously. 
You you sort of oh tot 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 yes yes it's it's just sort of fluffing up people but it's it's a complete and and Holland basically says you're not taking anything seriously. Power in a sense to say to China, you have to adopt these human rights. Right. Because, so human because, rights is an absolutely yeah, classic yeah. example. People talk about universal yeah. human rights. Now universal. What is universal? Universal it means Catholic, you know in Greek is Catholic. Yeah. So what we're yeah. talking about is Catholic human yeah. rights. People never put, you know, don't translate it in that, but that's what we're talking about. Yeah. It's so instinctive that we don't even recognize that. Yeah. Yeah. And human rights are Catholic yeah. in the sense of that they emerge as a, as a coherent philosophical idea in the 12th century in the emergent universities of, mm. of, of the Latin West. Mm. And our assumption that they are somehow, they float in the ether, that they are things that are just there, Mm. is is as you know i mean it's as far-fetched mm. as as as, mm. as believing in angels mm. or the trinity or anything i mean it's absolutely <laughs> a theological yeah. concept but whereas the trinity or angels are are clearly christian categories cr christian concepts yes. christian myths if you want um and have to be accepted as such you know they can't escape their their christian character mm -hmm. The idea of human rights can, mm. Yeah. Mm. and so people can can say everyone should should have this yeah. understanding they, of human rights. They can rights. separate the gin and the tonic. Yeah. Uh, yes, mm. <laughs> or do try you, to. Do you think so? Um, uh, another guest on this series, Graham Tomlin, he's also sort of the captain of uh, the seen and unseen ship, and his line that um, he pulls out a lot is that society is infinitely worse off if there's no overarching story. And I think seeing as he's a bishop in the Church of England, he'd be very comfortable in being explicit of the, you know, the Christian story. But I think my question then, what have we lost in separating the gin from the tonic? What have we lost in trying to secularize what you say are, are theological concepts that haven't just appeared in a vacuum? Do you think there's been a loss there? Or do you think it's actually, it's okay to sort of squeeze the juice out of the lemon? and then discard the lemon? Well, I, I quite like living in a, a secular state. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I think it serves the, the interests of a multi-faith society pretty well. Yeah. Um, but the problem is, I think... The, the, but again, I mean, again, the thesis, a multi-faith society. Mm. Can that really work? Does that really happen? Of course, almost. Like, and to say, well, yes and no. Is it the fact, and this would be, is it the fact that, in fact, a multi-faith society is basically, and I'm sure many Islamists will say that, a multi-faith society is basically seducing people who identify as Muslim or atheist or all these other things is, is sort of seduce. Of course, Christians, Christian ministers have been, you know, talking about this kind of thing for years. We have to hold back the seduction and, you know, keep Christ in Christmas. And I mean, all these, all these sort of agendas to to make sure that the that which has sort of been veiled by the secular is forefront. That it requires not looking at the foundations you know, the, the, the kind of ideological underpinnings of secularism too closely. Mm -hmm. Because if you do that, you realize that actually it's, it, it is still, um, 
you know, it's not neutral. The conceit of, of secularism is that the secular state is neutral and can be neutral between religions. Yeah. But it can't because it's inherently biased towards a Christian perspective. Yeah. And it it requires um, other ways of of comprehending the dimension of the supernatural to conform to a, a Christian shape. Mm. Um, because, say, a, a Muslim in Britain has freedom of religion yes but inherent in that idea that there is freedom of religion is that Islam is a religion but if the category of a religion that that is something distinct from a a secular space is Christian then it requires Islam in Britain to become that much more Christian Mm -hmm. to shape itself to a kind of Christian understanding basically to become a religion um and that you know that may be fine but I think it it does generate all kinds of stresses and tensions that that you know that that we've seen over the past few decades Mm. that it 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 imposes demands on muslims that 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 can that that can make islam a kind of uncomfortable bedfellow for for, for secularism as Mm. as you would expect because it's Mm. the height of arrogance to assume that a civilization as as that is, you know, just as, as complex and rich and sophisticated as Christian civilization. Basically, the conceit of secularism is that, you know, the whole of Islam can be brought into the big tent. Mm. You know, but that's, can it? Mm. <laughs> that's, that's, I suppose that's a big question. I mean, I'd love I've, I've mentioned this show a number of times, uh, Rami, which you can find on Hulu. There's a few seasons of it. The best season is the first season. The other seasons also have some episodes that get into it. Here, he's he's arguing with his white girlfriend. He after they had had uh, after they had had sex. Oh, let me get this thing to properly work. So after he sleeps with his white girlfriend, he takes the condom into the bathroom and fills it with water and tries to make sure that there weren't any leaks. And then his his girlfriend his girlfriend comes in and. Um, Hmm. So there you have it. So so can Rami fit into the thing, you know, northern New Jersey? Uh, and does how does this and so the whole series is about well how how in fact does does Islam in the modern world work? And in, in one season he goes to Egypt and he goes to Egypt in, in eager anticipation of finding true Islam and his identity, his Egyptian identity. So he goes to the big city and he discovers that all of his cousins just want to be like the West. And then he goes out and then he'll have much more of a sort of uh, romantic, you know, a romantic situation with his grandfather, but then his grandfather's out. So he's a comedian too. So... You know that's that's part of it, um, <laughs> and it, this is this is what a lot of this is about. Now, of course, Christians dealing with this, Christians have for a very long time. This is this is something within Christian culture that we're wrestling with. Too open, not open enough, but from an Islamic culture, hmm. It, 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 you very, just as Christians will be asking serious questions about, okay, what is Christianity? Well, Muslims will be asking serious questions about what is Islam and, and, and where are the lines and where are the rules? And, and then of course, in the, the end of the podcast, 
Justin will talk to this Chinese immigrant. Okay, so now we're not dealing with Islam. We're dealing with Confucianism, Buddhism, whatever her background, traditional religion, communism. And she comes to the UK and she decides, I want to stay here. Well, why do you want to stay here? Well, there's less corruption and people seem nice and you have freedom. And well, where did all of this come from? came from Christianity. Hmm. Oh, it came from the Enlightenment. It wasn't Christian about it because Christians, well, Christians, you know, Jonathan Peugeot made the point in that little clip there that, yeah, Christians, Christians can be jerks too. But what's the heart of it? What's the root of it? The roots and the fruits. These guys are so good with language. Anyway, um, yeah, so that's what's rolling around in my head. And uh, leave a comment. Let me know what you think.